Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. A suspect still at large shoots multiple people in a New York City subway. Authorities now on the lookout for a U-Haul truck with Arizona license plates. Inflation is hitting a 40-year high. What's President Biden's take on it? We have more on his latest response and a new gas policy. Oklahoma becomes the latest state to enact pro-life laws ahead of the Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade. The state's governor signs a bill banning abortions in almost all cases. Are people getting used to the pandemic life? A new poll finds the vast majority of Americans saying COVID-19 is no longer a crisis. The Pentagon says the U.S. can't confirm the potential use of chemical weapons by Russia in Mariupol. That's after the Ukrainian president referred to the possibility in his nightly video address. Authorities say a gunman in a gas mask and construction vest opened fire in a crowded subway train this morning. The shooting occurred in Brooklyn, New York, and at least 10 people were shot. No deaths have been reported. Five people were in critical condition but expected to survive. Some viewers may find the following images disturbing. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. Videos of the scene show people tending to bleeding passengers laying down in what appear to be small puddles of blood. Around 8.30 on Tuesday morning at the 36th Street train station in Brooklyn, a man allegedly set off a smoke device filling a crowded subway car with smoke. The man was wearing a gas mask and a green construction vest when he opened fire. One lady was walking nearby when it happened. So we were concerned, we were gonna go outside and check what was going on. Um, but we didn't actually go downstairs, which we're glad we didn't. But you know, we saw an ambulance coming out with a stretcher with a person on it. Authorities are now on the lookout for a U-Haul truck with Arizona license plates. Officials said that investigators recovered a handgun at the scene, along with multiple smoke devices and other items they are analyzing. Governor Kathy Hochul spoke today, and she said local authorities are working with federal authorities to try to catch the suspect as quickly as possible. And she advised anyone that has information or a video that they may think is insignificant to go ahead and report it anyway to 1-800-577-TIPS. Jason Perry, NTD News, New York. Another January 6th defendant was convicted on all charges Monday, making him the second defendant to be found guilty by a federal jury. Prosecutors argued he planned to obstruct Congress. NTD's Arlene Richards has the story. Former police officer Thomas Robertson didn't plan to obstruct Congress when he entered a restricted building on January 6th. That's what his lawyers argued last week. But the Justice Department proved that he wanted to stop Congress from certifying President Joe Biden, and he was carrying a weapon. Just last week, Martin Matthews was acquitted of a similar charge. So what's the difference? In a previous interview with NTD, attorney Robert Jenkins explained. With respect to the more serious charge, which most January 6th defendants who um, are accused with having been inside the Capitol face, the government also has to prove that they had the intent um, to come on to into the restricted place knowing that it was restricted and refusing to leave. Robertson was convicted of six counts, obstruction of Congress, interfering with officers during a civil disorder, entering a restricted area while carrying a dangerous weapon, 
disorderly or disruptive conduct in a restricted area while carrying a dangerous weapon, disorderly or disruptive conduct inside the Capitol building, and obstruction. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. Oklahoma is banning abortions in almost all cases. Oklahoma Governor Gavin Stitt signed the abortion law into ban today, ahead of an upcoming Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade. NTD's Allison Lee has the details. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt signed a bill into law on Tuesday outlawing almost all abortions in a state regardless of the stage of pregnancy. The only exception is when the mother's life is threatened. Oklahoma lawmakers passed the bill earlier this month with overwhelming support. I promised Oklahomans that I would sign every pro-life bill that hit my desk. And that's what we're doing here today. Senate Bill 612 passed with a vote of 38 to 9 in the Senate and 70 to 14 in the House. That's over 80% support in both chambers. The law does not punish mothers for getting abortions, but it would punish abortion doctors with up to 10 years in jail and fines up to $100,000. The governor says he believes abortion is a state issue and different states may choose to do things differently. I represent all 4 million Oklahomans and they overwhelmingly support protecting life in the state of Oklahoma. We want Oklahoma to be the most pro-life state in the country. Uh, we want to outlaw abortion in the state of Oklahoma. The governor says he expects liberal activists to challenge this new law. Planned Parenthood on Tuesday called the law an unconstitutional ban and said they will challenge it. And the White House said in a statement that the law is the country's most restrictive legislation regulating access to reproductive health care. Allison Lee, NTD News. In New Jersey, parents just got the newest update to their children's sex ed curriculum. And now some are worried for their kids and thinking about removing them from public schools. NTD's Evelyn Lee has more. Starting in the fall of 2022, New Jersey schools will teach first and second graders about gender identity. The curriculum instructs teachers to tell their students that they might, for example, feel like they're a girl even if they have boy parts. I spoke to Angela Plowhead, a U.S. House candidate and psychologist. She says that these types of lessons are doing a disservice to children who don't question their gender. Instead, schools should address issues of bullying and mental health across the board versus just focusing on one specific group of people. What we know about people with gender dysphoria is that it only affects about 0.005% of the population but yet it's being applied to the general population. But some reason that these classes can create a safe space for kids to voice these kinds of thoughts and teach respect for others. But Plowhead disagrees. She says that she can't find a single study that shows gender-inclusive classes in the general population have this effect. Plowhead says the curriculum tells children to question their most stable characteristic, and that could be damaging to them. Um, you know, I was just talking to, to someone 15 minutes ago that was telling me about um, a, a young woman who had never had concerns about what her sex was and she started having issues of depression and at the school they were forcing her to think about well have you considered that maybe you're really a they and until that happened she had never had that question. New Jersey State Senator Holly Shapisi received those class materials from concerned parents. She told Fox News she expects parents to fight back against the curriculum. Evelyn Lee, NTD News. 
Philadelphia is reinstating its indoor mask mandate starting next Monday. That's after reporting an increase in virus infections. The city's top health officials said Monday that COVID-19 cases have risen more than 50% in 10 days. That's a threshold at which the city's guidelines call for people to wear masks indoors. Philadelphia is reporting more than 140 cases per day. However, that's still a fraction of what it saw at the height of the Omicron surge. The city's health officials are concerned that the recent increase indicates the city might be at the beginning of a new wave. Philadelphia is the first major U.S. city to go back to requiring masks since cases declined at the beginning of the year. And health officials are concerned over two new subvariants of the Omicron strain. But a new poll finds the vast majority of Americans believe COVID-19 is no longer a crisis. NTD's Chenny Wu tells us more. An Axios Ipsos coronavirus index found less than 10% of Americans currently describe COVID-19 as a crisis. 73% called it a manageable problem, and one in six said it's not even a problem. Meanwhile, the poll found the number of employers requiring masks fell by nearly half over the last month, from 39% to 22%. And more than a third of respondents said they've already gone back to their regular pre-pandemic lives. That's a new high. The poll is based on a national sample of more than 1,000 people ages 18 and up and took place from April 8th to 11th. The results came shortly after Dr. Fauci said over the weekend that it's now up to Americans to determine their own COVID-19 risk after months of promoting government and corporate-backed restrictions. In recent months, case numbers, hospitalizations and deaths have significantly declined. And according to the CDC, as of December 2021, about 95 percent of Americans ages 16 and older have developed antibodies against the virus. Chenny Wu, NTD News. Inflation has just hit a 40-year high. How did President Biden respond to it today? And what is his latest move to address high gas prices? NTD's Iris Tao has more. We're leaning on you, our farmers, our biofuel refiners. Amid soaring inflation, President Biden's rolling out a new plan he says will increase fuel supply and lower gas prices. It gives you a choice at the pump. When you have a choice, you have competition. When you have competition, you have better prices. He announced an emergency waiver on Tuesday to allow E15 gasoline, which contains more ethanol from homegrown crops, to be sold this summer. E15 cells are usually prohibited in summer over air pollution concerns, but the administration said it's needed due to a, quote, fuel supply emergency. E15 is about 10 cents a gallon cheaper than E10. Officials said the authorization would reduce reliance on oil and could save drivers 10 cents a gallon off current prices. But its actual impact remains to be seen, as only a small fraction of the country's gas stations currently sell E15 gasoline. Meanwhile, Biden's remark comes as inflation is hitting a 40-year high, with consumer prices jumping 8.5 percent from a year ago. But the president on Tuesday touted, in fact, we've already made progress since March inflation data was collected. And he pointed to Putin. We saw today's inflation data. 70% of the increase in prices in March came from Putin's price hike in gasoline. 
but some in Biden's own party disagree. Senator Joe Manchin wrote in a statement Tuesday that the administration failed to act fast enough and that instead of acting boldly, it continues to respond with half measures and rhetorical failures searching for where to lay the blame. And on this upcoming Thursday, the president is traveling to North Carolina to talk more about how he's going to lower the prices. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. The U.S. and the U.K. are looking into reports that chemical weapons have been used by Russian forces attacking the Ukrainian port of Mariupol. If confirmed, it would mark a dangerous new development in the conflict. Olivia Chant reports. Ukraine officials said Tuesday it was checking reports chemical weapons were used by Russian forces in the besieged port city of Mariupol. Hours earlier, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky referred to the possibility in his nightly video address. Today we heard a statement from the occupiers confirming they are preparing for a new stage in their terror against us and our defenders. One of the spokespeople of the invaders said they are considering using chemical weapons against the defenders of Mariupol. We take it very seriously. I want to remind world leaders that a possible use of chemical weapons had already been discussed by the Russian military. At the time, it meant the reaction to the Russian aggression should have been harsher and faster. Zelensky did not provide any other detail on the claim. The Russian Defense Ministry did not immediately respond to a Reuters request for comment. British Defense Minister James Heapy said it was trying to verify the report. We are working urgently to understand whether or not uh, chemical weapons have been used. And, and if they have, as the Foreign Secretary has said, the people responsible will be held to account. The use of chemical weapons is abhorrent does cross a line, and all options are on the table for how we would respond. Should the reports be confirmed, it would mark a dangerous new development in the conflict, which is now firmly focused on the east of the country. The battle for the key port town of Mariupol is reaching a decisive phase, with Ukrainian marines holed up in the Azov-style industrial district. Russian victory there would create the land corridor it's been seeking between areas it holds to the west and east. Civilians continue to flee from areas of eastern Ukraine on Tuesday, ahead of the anticipated Russian offensive. President Vladimir Putin calls his action in Ukraine a special military operation to demilitarize and denazify the country. The Russian leader said Tuesday that it would undoubtedly achieve what he said were its noble objectives. Pentagon spokesman John Kirby said today that the United States cannot confirm the potential use of chemical agents by Russia. We're obviously taking it seriously and we're monitoring it. We're trying to do the best we can to, to figure out uh, what if anything happened, but we're not in a position to confirm it right now. Use of bio or chemical weapons against the people of Ukraine would elicit a response, not just from the United States, but from the international community. Russia-backed separatist forces trying to seize complete control of Mariupol denied using chemical weapons. That's according to comments carried by Russian news agency Interfax. Kirby also said that Ukrainian forces continue to hold Mariupol. 
A Russian court today declined to make a decision on a former U.S. Marine's appeal from a 2019 conviction. The court sent the case to a lower court for further review. The investigator refused to take video evidence from the vehicle that I was in after we made several requests. Trevor Reed is a 30-year-old ex-Marine from Texas. He has been serving a nine-year sentence since he was convicted of endangering the lives of two police officers while drunk on a visit to Moscow. Reed has maintained his innocence and said after the decision was read that an investigator saw video footage of him being carried into a police station unconscious. He also said police body armor jackets were not damaged. U.S. Ambassador John Sullivan attended the proceedings and told reporters he was disappointed that justice had been denied again. He said Reed remains in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Gilbert Gottfried, a stand-up comedian and actor known for his iconic voice, has died at the age of 67. A statement from his family said that Gottfried passed away after a long illness, which they did not specify. And coming up, the lieutenant governor of New York is arrested for alleged corruption. He's accused of exchanging taxpayer dollars for campaign contributions. Prosecutors say he lied to cover up the scheme, including on his disclosure forms to become lieutenant governor. Eight teams vying for four positions. It's the NBA's play-in tournament, and it starts tonight. Navigating a world of economic madness, you need to have the right guide. What did today's decisions mean for your tomorrow? We ask why, what's the alternative? Uncover the deeper reasons and the hidden influences and highlight the real opportunities for profit. At Entity Business, we connect the dots for you. Good evening. Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin was arrested today in a federal corruption investigation. Benjamin, a Democrat, is being accused of exchanging taxpayers' money for campaign contributions. He's pleading not guilty to all charges, which include bribery, wire fraud, and falsification of records. The charges center on his run for city comptroller in 2021. Benjamin, formerly a New York state senator, is accused of participating in a scheme to use his influence in exchange for campaign contributions. According to the indictment, Benjamin conspired to direct state funds to a nonprofit led by one of his top fundraisers, a Harlem-based real estate mogul, and in return received thousands of dollars towards his campaign. Benjamin allegedly engaged in a series of lies to cover up the scheme. This includes lying on disclosure forms to become the lieutenant governor. He was released earlier today after an initial court hearing. His bond was set at $250,000. And this just in, Benjamin resigned from his position this afternoon. Governor Kathy Hochul says she has accepted his resignation, effective immediately. And another case involving abuse of office. A former branch chief with the Department of Homeland Security has been convicted of theft of government property and conspiracy to defraud the United States. The scheme involved two other co-conspirators who also worked for the DHS. Former branch chief of the Information Technology Division of DHS, Morali Venkata, was found guilty by jury. 
The Department of Justice said Monday he was convicted of multiple federal charges stemming from stealing software and databases from the U.S. government. The conspirators intended to use the stolen software to develop a knockoff case management system to sell to government agencies. Venkata worked at the DHS from 2010 until October 2017. And rising inflation is affecting Americans, and some states are trying to give some relief. New York is planning to pause its gas tax, and another state in the Northeast is pausing its sales tax. NTD's Arian Pazdar has more on how you can save money this week. Connecticut is suspending its sales tax on clothes and shoes this week. The state sales tax is around 6%, but for this week, the governor paused it. Look, it's been tough. It's been tough on the consumer. Inflation is uh, is rough, and we're trying to do everything we can to make it a little bit easier. So here it is. It's uh, sales tax free. So how can Connecticut just say no to sales tax for a week? Well, like a lot of states, Connecticut is sitting on a large budget surplus right now. Uh, part of that is from federal relief funds. Part of that is through their own revenue. Janelle Kaminger is a policy analyst for the Tax Foundation. She says the state's budget surplus might have been used in a better way. It's targeting clothes and footwear, but it's possible that someone who needs that tax relief in a time of high inflation doesn't need to buy clothes right now, and they could use the help in some area instead. Uh, also, uh, sales tax holidays are generally meant to increase spending or spur on the economy. That's not something that's really needed right now, especially when we're facing a lot of issues of scarcity and high prices already. She added that a better way to help taxpayers would be to permanently lower taxes. This way people could prepare and adapt for it. If you do need to buy clothes or shoes this week, keep in mind that you can buy multiple items and they will all be tax exempt, as long as they individually cost less than $100. Ariane Pastar, NTD News, New York. Britney Spears and her fiancé are expecting a child together. This comes just five months after Spears became free of her conservatorship. The singer previously alleged that under her conservatorship, she was prevented from having more children. NTD's Grace Coulter has the story. After having her life ruled by a conservatorship for nearly 14 years, Britney Spears is enjoying her newfound freedom. On Monday, the singer announced she's fulfilled a dream not possible under the conservatorship. She and her fiancé are expecting a baby. Spears shared the news in an Instagram post. She wrote that she had lost weight on her recent Maui vacation, only to gain it back. After initially putting it down to food bloat, Spears said she got a pregnancy test and found out she's having a baby. During a hearing last year, as Spears sought to end her conservatorship, she testified that she wanted to get married and have a baby, but said her court-ordered conservators prohibited her from removing an IUD used for birth control. Soon after her conservatorship ended, Spears' fiancé Sam Asghari proposed. Their child will have two older brothers from Spears' previous marriage. Grace Coulter, NTD News. Turning to sports news, in the NFL, the newly named Washington Commanders may be in some legal trouble. Lawmakers are accusing the team of scamming ticket holders and the league. NTD's Dave Martin has the story. The U.S. House Oversight Committee sent a letter to the FTC saying it found evidence that the team had engaged in potentially unlawful conduct by withholding ticket revenue from visiting teams and refundable deposits from fans. According to the letter, security deposits for seat leases were to be refunded when the multi-year seat contracts ended. 
but instead, team executives allegedly directed employees to establish roadblocks meant to prevent customers from obtaining those refunds. The retained money, estimated at $5 million, was then allegedly misclassified on purpose to make it look like it came from non-NFL events so that it could be hidden from the league and therefore not included in the NFL's shared revenue pool. To hide these activities, the team allegedly kept two sets of books. Ticket revenue is shared among all 32 NFL teams, with 40% of it deposited in a visiting team fund. These accusations first came to light a few weeks ago. On April 4, the commanders released a statement denying any wrongdoing. Dave Martin, NTD News. The NBA's play-in tournament starts tonight, with Brooklyn hosting Cleveland and the LA Clippers playing in Minnesota. More from NTD's David Martin. For the second year in a row, the NBA is spicing up the competition for the last two playoff spots with the play-in tournament. The four-day play-in gives the seven through ten seeds in each conference a chance to fill the final two playoff spots. This is how it works. The seven seed hosts the eight seed, with the winner automatically making the playoffs and facing the two seed in round one. But the loser of this game still gets another chance. Meanwhile, the 9 seed will host the 10 seed, but in this case the loser is eliminated, while the winner faces the loser of the 7 versus 8 game. The winner of that game, which will be Friday, advances to the playoffs to face the top seed. So essentially the winner of the Nets-Cavs game tonight is automatically in, while the loser of the Clippers-Timberwolves game is automatically out, with the other two teams still in play for Friday. Dave Martin, NTD News. While WNBA star Brittany Griner is still being detained in Russia, ESPN is reporting that the Phoenix Mercury intend to pay her entire 2022 salary of over $227,000. And the league is considering giving the franchise some salary cap relief due to her absence. Griner was Phoenix's first overall pick in 2013 and led them to a league championship this, the following season. The 31-year-old is also a two-time Olympic gold medalist. But Greiner has been detained in Russia since February 17th after Russian authorities said a search of her luggage found vape cartridges, allegedly containing oil derived from cannabis. Russian media have reported that her detention has been extended to May 19th. The WNBA season starts on May 6th. And in golf, Tiger Woods made plenty of headlines in his return to competition last week. But while he struggled, struggled to a 78 Saturday at Augusta National, the auction for his golf clubs from his famed Tiger Slam took off, eventually going for more than $5.1 million. The price shattered the previous record for golf memorabilia, which was held by Horton Smith's green jacket. It sold for $682,000 in 2013. The Tiger Slam refers to when Woods won the final three majors of the 2000 season and then the first major, the Masters, in 2001. The feat made him the first player in the modern era to win all four majors in a row. And coming up, scorching temperatures in Southern California are not stopping beachgoers from getting among the sand and waves. Although it's just spring, Los Angeles saw triple-digit temperatures in some areas. And also in Southern California, USPS suspended services to part of Santa Monica. In a letter, they say the safety of their mail carriers was at risk. We'll look at what we know about who's making threats after the break.
over to the West Coast. California saw warm temperatures up and down the state last week. In Southern California, beachgoers enjoyed time in the sun, cooling off in ocean waters. Southern California beaches were packed on Friday as the region baked in record-breaking temperatures. It is, it is. It's beautiful, but it's just, a, it's a little worrisome. I, you know, I hope it's, hope it's not a sign that this is going to be uh, regular, but uh, it's great. It's a good day for the beach. On the beaches of Santa Monica, residents took to the surf, built sand castles, and soaked in the sun as temperatures climbed to 91 degrees Fahrenheit. It is very unusual. Even the ocean is warm, and it's April. So we definitely take advantage and come here where the air is cleaner and, of course, this beautiful, beautiful beach. Um, definitely something you just don't get in April very often. Over the past few days, temperatures have been rising across Los Angeles County, pushing the heat up to triple digits in some areas. Well, we're cooling off in that body of water you see to your right. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful day. It's warm, but not crazy warm. Some beachgoers enjoyed the warmer weather. Heaven, heaven, so much better than freezing cold temperatures. No, no, it's, it's wonderful for somebody from Minnesota, probably hot for the people that live out here. One visitor said the temperature was mild compared to his hometown. Now uh, for heat it's okay, this is uh, very mild, uh, very pleasant for us because where we are co coming from, from Istanbul, is normal. Last Thursday, Los Angeles International Airport registered a record high of 95 degrees Fahrenheit, and Long Beach saw 101 degrees, according to the National Weather Service. Heat advisories were in effect until last Friday evening. Temperatures have dropped over the weekend, with highs only in the 60s on Monday. The rest of the week is expected to hover in the 70s. One neighborhood in Southern California's Santa Monica City will not be receiving postal service from the USPS until further notice. But even local police aren't fully in the loop on the situation. Let's take a look at what prompted the decision. NTD's Cynthia Kai has the story. Santa Monica residents located on the 1300 block of 14th Street received a letter from the U.S. Postal Service, or USPS, on April 7th. The letter said, the safety of our employees and of the mail they deliver to you is our highest concern. Until we can ensure the safety of both, delivery services will remain suspended. It's unclear when the services for paper mail will resume, but packages are still being delivered to the neighborhood. Residents are encouraged to pick up their mail at the post office on 7th Street. The suspension comes after a local resident reportedly attacked a mail carrier with a broomstick on the 1300 block of 14th Street on January 19th. A USPS spokesperson said there have been three separate incidents with three different carriers in the neighborhood over the past few months. Erica Aklufi from the Santa Monica Police Department told the Epoch Times in an email, USPS issued the letter and as far as we know, did not contact our department before sending it. I tried calling the two phone numbers on the letter. One went unanswered and the other had a voice mailbox that is full. Aklufi said Santa Monica police officers are familiar with the suspect who allegedly assaulted a USPS mail carrier. Other incidents of USPS mail carriers being attacked were not identified. 
And in Texas, NASA Johnson Space Center is saying goodbye to an old friend. A space shuttle simulator used for astronaut training is now moving to a new forever home. Here are the details. For almost three decades, the Space Shuttle Simulator Motion Base at the Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas has been part of core training for astronauts. Starting today, the simulator will be an interactive exhibit at the Lone Star Flight Museum. Every single shuttle pilot went through this simulator. The simulator was first built in 1976 and has supported astronaut training for many historic missions. The simulator was unique because of its many features. And it was the closest thing for us in terms of flying the, the space shuttle vehicle to reality. In motion, it would move in all, all directions. So it provided a very, very realistic um, simulation. Before the move, Bonnie J. Dunbar, a retired NASA astronaut and university professor, along with other volunteers, spent 5,000 hours to restore the simulator for the museum display. We wanted to make sure that history was preserved for the next generation. We want to use it as a teaching tool on, on how technology grew from it and how it's being applied to the future. The museum CEO, Doug Owens, also shared with us the purpose of displaying the simulator. We want people to really walk away from here it is with an excitement about aviation. The museum exhibit will offer free admission to the public from 4 to 6 p.m. Patrons will be able to see the simulator and how it was used to train flight crews. Former retail institution Kmart looks like it's about to disappear in the United States. After this week, there will only be three stores remaining. The Kmart in Avenel, New Jersey is one of only four Kmart stores left in the United States and it's closing its doors permanently this week. It's just sad. This used to be a real part of America, Americana, and it's gone away. I find it sad. The people that are losing their jobs, I find it sad. Author Michael Lisicki has written several books about traditional department stores. He pays regular visits to the remaining Kmarts. These just dotted the American landscape over the years. They still dot the American landscape, but as carcasses, as closed carcasses. At one time, Kmart had more than 300,000 employees and boasted over 2,000 stores. But the company struggled to compete with Walmart's low prices and Target's trendier offerings. The retail chain filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in early 2002, becoming the largest U.S. retailer to take such a step. Actually, that's what it was when I was younger. I used to, I mean, I don't have any money, so that was a good place to, to shop because the prices were cheap, you know, stuff like this. And, and to see this, uh, you know, gone right now, it's, it's kind of sad. According to Mark Cohen, director of retail studies at Columbia Business School, the three remaining Kmarts may close in a few months. Kmart is a victim of serial incompetence with regard to its historical leadership had a variety of folks running the business who uh, were either not paying much attention to competition or attempting to do things which uh, frankly resulted in uh, the ultimate train wreck, which is bankruptcy. Transformco, the company that currently owns Kmart, didn't say how long it expects to stay in business at its three remaining stores in Westwood, New Jersey, Long Island, New York, and Miami, Florida. Coming up, people in Shanghai are dying from the city's strict lockdown measures. They can't get medical help. And British Prime Minister Boris Johnson offers a full apology after paying a fine for breaching UK lockdown laws. 
Find out more in just a moment here on NTD News. Speaks, we don't just scratch the surface. We want to go wide and deep. Our viewers come away with a much richer understanding of the issues of the day. We really make a big effort to bring on different voices onto the show. We don't just talk to experts and newsmakers, which of course are extremely important, but we also want to hear from the American people. So the people who are impacted by the policies and issues that we're talking about, because what they have to say is just as important to the national conversation. In an effort to strengthen self-reliance, the Chinese Communist Party's new economic policy is calling for a unified domestic market. The document mapped out the creation of a mega-project on Sunday. Let's take a look at what it actually is and if it could signal whether Beijing is preparing for war. In a bid to make Chinese economy less dependent on the outside world, Beijing unveiled a new plan. That is, building a so-called unified domestic market for the country. This is a landmark action by the Chinese Communist Party. In other words, the CCP not only proposed political challenges to the ideology and social system of the West, now economically it's putting together its own so-called CCP plan. According to guidelines released Sunday by the Chinese Communist Party, the Unified Domestic Market Plan aims to promote more regulations from China's domestic production to resource use. That would cover a number of areas, like energy, data, and technology. The new strategy also looks to break down local protectionism and eliminate other obstacles that prevent domestic markets from working efficiently. In China, local protectionism refers to regional blockades and restrictions on the flow of goods. They're usually part of efforts by city or province-level officials to protect locally-based industries. But China affairs analyst Tang Jingyuan says that's only on the surface level. It actually aims to create a unified market to ensure the CCP is in charge of everything. So the CCP is able to participate in the entire process of any commodity, from its production to its circulation, to its access to the market and to its final consumption. According to Tang, there's another, more realistic purpose at present. The CCP wants to resolve China's current economic dilemma. Recently, a series of strict lockdowns in large Chinese cities have started piling pressure onto the domestic production sector. On top of that, Russia's invasion of Ukraine is adding to China's supply chain disruptions, as well as shortages of critical resources like food and energy. For Beijing, the global economic sanctions against Moscow levied over its invasion may serve as a cautionary tale. In an interview on Monday, a Communist Party official told China's state-run media agency that speeding up building a national unified market is a realistic need of achieving scientific and technological self-reliance. The CCP may be preparing for the future. For example, Taiwan. If it invades Taiwan, it will likely face similar or even tougher sanctions than Russia today. Then it must minimize the negative impact of these sanctions. That's why it must build a self-sufficient and self-aligned internal economic circulation model. But as the world's second largest economy pivots inward, how will China's shift impact the rest of the globe?
This will definitely deepen the gap between the two primary models, the market economy and the planned economy. In other words, this will add to the duality of the world, not just on a political level, but also in the economic sphere. Tang adds that Beijing's unified domestic market strategy is nothing new. It essentially follows the same structure as a centrally planned economy. The Chinese communist regime introduced that model in the past to fight Western capitalism. And as the unified domestic market comes into place, China may return to its old habits. Locals in Shanghai tell us they can't even get medical care. The lockdown has been in place for over two weeks now. NTD's Don Ma has the latest. And this story does contain some graphic video. From the poor to the rich, people in Shanghai are struggling to get medical care. The assistant to the president of a multi-billion dollar Chinese company couldn't get medical help amid the lockdown. Wei Guiguo from China Pacific Securities died in his home from internal bleeding in the brain. The lockdown in Shanghai has severely reduced essential medical services. Many hospitals' emergency services are not operating and many residents can't get emergency care. As a result, people are dying due to the lockdown measures rather than COVID. In this clip, it looks like the man's having a seizure. The person recording has called the emergency services, but no one's picking up. A number of Shanghai residents have told us over the phone they are experiencing similar situations. A woman told us that she's vomiting blood. She called the Chinese emergency number, but no one came to help. I'm at home now, vomiting blood and having trouble breathing. No one came to my aid. We called a lot. The police, the ambulance, no one came. Footage shows people desperately pleading in front of hospitals for help but in vain. Another resident told us in tears in a call that her father has a heart condition, but she can't find a hospital for him. My father's heart is already experiencing discomfort. I can't find a hospital or an ambulance. He's 63 years old. He lives all by himself. The food situation is not important anymore. He's already unconscious. Do you understand? But there could be a glimmer of hope coming out of Shanghai today. Authorities are easing the lockdown a bit, and some residents were allowed to go out their homes. Maybe authorities are seeing residents' hardship because health officials said they're easing restrictions even though Shanghai doesn't have the virus under control. Don Ma, NTD News. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Chancellor Rishi Sunak are set to be fined for breaching lockdown laws. The Prime Minister's wife, Carrie Johnson, will also be issued a fixed penalty notice. The Prime Minister has said repeatedly that the rules weren't broken, but now faces renewed calls to resign. Here's more from NTD's Jane Wero. Uh, today, I've received a fixed penalty notice from the Metropolitan Police relating to an event in Downing Street on the 19th of June 2020 and let me say immediately that I've paid the fine and I once again offer a full 
apology. Now, this brings up serious questions for Boris Johnson. And you might remember some of those exchanges he had during the sessions on Wednesday where he faces questions from MPs. Here's one of those moments from December. What I can tell the right honourable gentleman is that, uh, is that all guidance was followed uh, completely during number 10. And can I, and, and can I, can I recommend uh, to the right honourable gentleman that he does uh, the same uh, with his own Christmas party, which he's advertised uh, for December the 15th, but which, to which unaccountably he's failed to invite the, 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 the deputy leader, uh, Mr Speaker. Unsurprisingly, opposition parties have called on the Prime Minister to resign. The Lib Dem leader, Sir Ed Davies, said on social media that he thinks that Parliament should be recalled from recess for a vote of no confidence in the Prime Minister. Now, of course, it's only Boris Johnson's own MPs who can make that decision. And to put it simply, the mood has changed since the Ukraine invasion. And while this issue is now clear for the police, it's still unclear whether the Prime Minister or Rishi Sunak will resign over this. Jane Worrell, NTD News, London. And we have an update on the Brooklyn subway shooting. The NYPD is having a press conference right now. Let's go to that now. Like the 16-year-old baby we lost in the Bronx. From schools in Columbine, Sandy Hook in Virginia, to music festivals in Las Vegas, to nightclubs in Orlando, to movie theaters and yoga classes across the nation. These killers have used weapons of mass destruction to massacre innocent people. They control no armies or military forces, yet these individual killers terrorize our nation. I have often said that this city is not going to adapt to dysfunction. Ending gun violence means changing gun laws. We cannot clean up a flood when the water is still pouring into the basement. And we can never stop the killing if we cannot stop the guns. To be clear, we will not surrender our city to the violent few, and we will not surrender all of America to this cult of death. The sea of violence comes from many rivers. We must dam every river that feeds the greater crisis. That is the work of my life, this administration, and this police department. I will not stop until the peace we deserve becomes the reality we experience. You have my word as a former police officer, a fellow New Yorker, and your mayor, that we will end this epidemic and that will capture the individual responsible for today's attack. We will capture him and prosecute him to the full extent of the law. Thank you, NYPD, FDNY, our first responders, and the collaboration from the federal government the state, the city agencies. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I'd like to turn it over to Assistant Special Agent in Charge at the FBI in New York office, Michael Driscoll. Thank you, Commissioner. I want to start by expressing our hopes and prayers that the victims of this event will enjoy a quick recovery. They are our primary focus right now. I also want to echo the thanks for the partnership to the NYPD, the ATF, and all the partners who are contributing to this investigation. Right now, the FBI NYPD Joint Terrorism Task Force is fully engaged with this investigation, providing assistance through manpower, technical assistance, and basically everything we can throw at it. We expect the process to be a long one as we gather all possible information to track down all possible leads. 
And I would encourage you, as it was mentioned earlier, to please reach out to the NYPD tip line at 1-800-577-TIPS. And I would also add, as frequently the case in many of our current investigations, uh, everyone's got a cell phone in their pocket. There's a lot of video out there. If you have digital information that you'd like to share with, with us in connection with this investigation, please visit fbi.gov slash Brooklyn shooting where you can upload that information. So we are seeking the public's help. You heard mentioned before of a name of possible interest. Videos would be particularly helpful or any other additional witnesses who have yet to come forward that can provide information uh, that might help this investigation. So thank you for your participation, and I thank everyone for their partnership in the course of the investigation. Thank you. We'll take a couple of questions. Your yeah, Commissioner Sewell, is it the belief that he fled on foot after abandoning the van where he We are not sure where he went at this point. That is subject to investigation. We have a number of resources that are combing on foot and doing video canvases as well to determine where he went. Okay. Post? I'm no sorry. So based on some preliminary information, there were some postings possibly connected to our person of interest where he mentions homelessness, he mentions New York, and he does mention Mayor Adams. And as a result of that, in an abundance of caution, we're going to tighten the mayor's security detail. Just to be clear, so this person, Frank James, he's not the person of interest that is in custody at this moment? I'm going to have an answer that. We have no one in custody at this time. No. We are looking for Frank James. We know he rented this U-Haul van. The key of that U-Haul van was found at the crime scene in the subway. And Mr. James made those social media posts? We're pouring through that, but yes, correct. And you believe he was the one in the train? Is that correct? We, we are looking to determine if he has any connection to the train. We know Mr. James rented that U-Haul truck in Philadelphia. So we're not calling them threats. He made some concerning posts, or someone made some concerning posts. We cannot attribute it to that individual yet. That's under investigation. But again, in an abundance of caution, we're going to tighten the mayor's security detail. That's all. Rocco, Daily News. Does he have any connection at That is subject to investigation. We don't have that information yet. Does he have a criminal record? Mr. James is just a person of interest we know right now who rented that U-Haul van in Philadelphia. The keys to that U-Haul van were found in the subway in our shooter's possessions. We don't know right now if Mr. James has any connection to the subway. That's still under investigation. Uh, Chief Essek, do you have any what we call robust DNA evidence from the crime scene or the van? The crime scene still being processed now. The van is being processed, and the subway crime scene is being processed. But we, it's too early right now to tell. City Kenny? Um, can you explain where this you all was located? Was it nearby? And also, investigating these videos, but can you confirm that it was him in the video or people that he knows? I mean, we're just trying to make a connection. The, the video, the YouTube videos and the videos on t there, there's a man who posted there, Frank James, 
we're still working to see if that's our person who rented the video. And where was the hall located? Uh, Kings Highway in Brooklyn. Kings Highway, what intersection? 30 West 4th and Kings Highway. There were general uh, topics of concern, and I, I don't want to go into too many details about the mayor's security detail. We're just doing it uh, just to be on the safe side. And just any other details about homelessness? You mentioned that you posted about homelessness. Complaints about homelessness, complaints about New York, nothing in general. I'm sorry, just general comments that caused us some concern that are subject to investigation at this point. Why were there no working surveillance cameras in the station? Why did police radios not work in the station? And how much did those factors hamper this investigation? Yeah, we know that there were three stations that the video wasn't working. We're still investigating that to see why or how those, uh, whether it was a mechanical problem, electrical issue, why those videos weren't up. The there was no issues with police radios in this. Yeah, so patrol officers. So officers who work topside, if you will, in patrol precincts, when they go down the station, they have to switch frequencies. It's a UHF versus VHF. So if they didn't switch the radio over to the, U to the VHF frequency, they would not be able to transmit down in the subway station. So it's user error. It wasn't a problem with the actual radio. Bloomberg News. How many officers are assigned to the 36th Street station, and, and were there any officers in, in, in the station at all? So we, we don't typically assign officers to subway stations. Officers patrol on a rotating basis. They ride trains. They come out. They patrol the stations. Patrol officers from the precincts stop, go down. They do station inspections. We've been doing that since January. So that, that station was patrolled several times today. There were no officers present in the station uh, at the time of the shooting, but it had been patrolled several times on this calendar date prior to the shooting in the early morning hours. Next question. What do we know about Mr. James and his local ties to New York City? We know Mr. James, Mr. James has addresses in Wisconsin and Philadelphia. As far as New York, still under investigation, but he's just a person of interest right now in this case. We know the shooter was was entered the station on Kings Highway, so. We're asking for anybody who knows from Kings Highway to 35th Street is eight stops. Anybody who sees him with any information, please call Crime Stoppers. We literally have hundreds of detectives out in the field right now pouring through video at train stations, the egresses, uh, the recovery sites of the vehicle. So we hope to have clearer pictures of who we believe is the shooter. Right, two more questions. CNN? About the weapon that was recovered, has that been traced back to Mr. James at all? And is there any likelihood that, or how, how confident are investigators that he is the same person that pulled the trigger today? Look, that's, pull, as far as pulling the trigger, that's still under investigation as far as the firearm is concerned. We know it's not part of a multi-sale. We know it's not stolen. We're working with our partners in the ATF to cr track back to the point of sale and then move forward on that gun. Hey, last last question. question. Your physical description of James, does it match the description that's already been put out today? Uh, uh, 
again, as I said, we, there was two smoke grenades thrown. We have various descriptions of height. I gave the description out of the man with the vest. We're looking through all, all possible leads on our person of interest. I think if you look at our social media, you'll see two photos of the person of interest. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. That was the NYPD giving us an update on the subway shooting that took place in Brooklyn this morning. Here's a picture of the suspect. And we'll be following that story closely. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.